I want us to turn in the scriptures this morning to the book of Exodus. And we're going to start in chapter 14, Exodus 14. And I want us to look at a couple of verses there, uh, verses 15 and 16. Exodus 14, 15, and 16. Chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. We're jumping right into the middle of a very familiar story. If you know anything about the Bible, if you know anything about biblical history, and that, and that is the story where the children of Israel have been delivered from Egyptian bondage, but they're still being chased by the Egyptians, and God has led them down into what looked like a trap. And it was a trap, but it wasn't a trap for them. It was a trap for their enemies, the Egyptians. God led them, instead of taking them around where they could have gone a, a safer way, he led them down to the brink of the Red Sea between two mountains and the Red Sea, and behind them was an open road for the Egyptians to come bearing down upon them, and they realized that they were trapped. They had no way to go, and here's three million people with no armaments, no weapons to defend themselves, no military training whatsoever, just barely delivered from slavery, and they didn't know what to do. And they started crying out, you know, you know, Moses, you've led us into this slaughter. The Egyptians are coming and they're going to they're going to either kill us or take us back into slavery. And we'd been better off if you hadn't even come into our lives. And so Moses, you know, he goes to God and said, God, what up? <laughs> God, what what in the world is going on here? I mean, even Moses was just confused about it. And God says, stand still. Be still. And he said, uh, uh, I'll give you instructions. And here are your instructions. Uh, verse 15, Exodus 14, verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Amen. And then the next verse he says, And I will cause Pharaoh to come after you. And Pharaoh will chase you into the middle of the Red Sea, and I'll drown him there. God told Moses everything. He says, he says, first of all, you tell the people to go forward. But he didn't leave them hanging. Because if he had just left them there, he would have had a difficult time. Moses would have. He would have had a difficult time getting the people of Israel to go forward because that would have meant they were going to march right into the sea and drown. But God says, no, you know, he didn't, he didn't leave him hanging. He said, you tell the people to go forward and lift up your rod, your symbol of authority that I've given you, and stretch it out over the sea and divide the sea, and 
marched the people over on dry ground. And Moses says, that makes perfect sense. That can be scientifically uh, uh, supported. And, uh, and, and that's happened many times in history. Oh, yeah, I remember that happening back in 42. No, there was no precedent for it. There was no scientific explanation for it. There was no human understanding of it. The only thing that made it possible was God said it. In other words, God gave Moses a word to move forward upon. Amen? And you've heard me preach many times that faith is a forward motion. First of all, faith is an action. It's an action that you take because you believe and trust. Amen? You believe and trust that that chair you're sitting in can support your weight. So you sit down upon it. See, that's faith in action. You, you, you believed and you trusted that that chair was a chair, that it was there, and that it was strong enough to support your hefty weight. And thereby, and therefore, and because of that, you sat on it. And rather heavily. Leaning on it with all your weight. That's faith. And when we have faith in God, it means we believe, and we, we believe in what he said, we trust him to perform what he said, and we put all of our weight on it. That's faith. And faith always moves you forward. It's a forward moment. Faith has, has built into it the momentum to move you forward, to progress you, to uh, expand you, and to increase you. It's not a retreat motion. Amen? And God teaches us to move forward, and he's teaching the Israelites to trust him. See, they didn't know him. The Israelites didn't know God. Moses had to ask God, what's your name? Moses didn't even know God at the burning bush. They'd been in bondage for 400 years, and all semblances of the Jewish faith had left them. They were all Egyptian idolaters, or as Ruth says, idolaters. They worship Baal. They worship the calf. They worship the cow god. They were sold to it. They, hook, line, and sinker, they were as Egyptian. When it came to religion, they were as Egyptian as the Egyptians were. And so when God appeared to Moses, Moses said, uh, uh, whom, whom shall I say is telling them all this stuff? And God said, you tell them that I am. The I am. And then God began to reveal himself to Israel. And in the revealing of himself to Israel, he taught them faith. He taught them how to follow him. The whole, the whole uh, exodus and wilderness experience and even going into the promised land required them to believe God's word and to trust God's word and act on it. And it always moved them forward. And when they doubted God and distrusted God and would not obey God is when they moved backwards and failed. We need to prepare our minds to operate in faith in the same way. God's teaching you right now how to operate in faith and trust and obedience. That's what life is about. 
I think this whole life is a training ground. Yes, God has us on assignments, and he has, uh, he has destinies written into our lives, and he wants us to fulfill our destinies, but all in the context of learning how to, how to believe him, trust him, and obey him. Because in eternity, we're going to be soaring off into the universe, into faraway galaxies, settling planets we never even heard of, and all for the Lord, and we're going to have to be able to move forward, Amen. Into the unknown. Just like that motto, you know, Star Trek, going where no one's ever gone before. It requires faith to have that kind of motion, to have that kind of courage and bravery. You think we're going to be sitting around on little clouds wearing a little baby diaper with little baby wings playing a harp. No, that's not what hey, eternity is. Eternity are, is the sons of God operating as gods in the universe. Ruling and reigning in Christ Jesus. So we need, to, we need to be taught, and that's what this life is about. This life is about you being taught that nothing is impossible with God, and since you're with God, nothing shall be impossible for you. But it requires you to always be in forward motion. If you're going to fall, fall forward. That way, when you get up, you have moved a little bit. Amen? We must always be ready to move out in faith. We can't get, a, we can't get settled down and settled back. We can't, we can't get in, in where our faith is concerned. We can't get to the place where it is no longer in gear and in motion, which means you can't, you can't idle. You can't park. And be in faith. You've always got to be in motion if you're going to be in faith. We must, not, we must not underestimate that we are the partners of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says we are co-laborers with him. We, we have a partner. We work with him. Not only is, are we with God and God's with us, but we're his partners. This is a family business. Amen. When I was growing up in the home of a, of a used car dealer and I got my driver's license, well, even before I got my driver's license, I would spend every waking hour on the car lot, polishing cars, washing windows, vacuuming, uh, changing flat tires. He had a little shop with one of those little tire changing apparatuses on it. And back in those days, they used inner tubes. And he had the inner tube patching kit, and, and I would spend my Saturdays breaking tires down, patching them, putting them back together, putting them back on the car. Because I, and I didn't get paid for it. Well, he would allow me to have a Coke out of the Coke machine because he had the key. You know, He'd open that Coke machine, and I'd grab me a Coke at the end of the day, not at the beginning of the day. And, and, uh, but uh, I asked him one time, I said, Daddy, how come we have to work at car lot all the time? How come I'm always having to do this stuff? He said, it's the family business. He says, you're in the family, you're going to work in the family businesses. And, uh, and I thought, wow, I can't wait to, you know, graduate from the family business. Well, I did. Eventually I did. I, I, I got married, but I married a farmer's daughter. My mistake. 
And I realized that a farm is a family business. It's a family operation. And I'm telling you what, before we even were married, before we tied the knot, I was getting phone calls on Saturdays. Because, see, I was going to college Monday through Friday all day long, and I was working every night from 3, from three, three in the afternoon to 11 at night. I'd get a few hours sleep, and then I'd go to school all day, and then I'd, co and then I'd go back to work. And, but I was off on Saturday. I was working at the public schools. I was the janitor. I was the janitor for the public schools. You know, I cleaned elementary schools. I cleaned junior high schools. I cleaned high schools. They moved me around, you know. And, uh, but, you know, I was, I, was, I was a swashbuckler. I mean, I had swing that mop and, and run that buffer down the hall, make it shine, all that kind of stuff, from 3 to 11. And, uh, but on Saturdays, I was off. I had no school on Saturday, and I had uh, my job wasn't on Saturday. And so every Saturday morning, I'd look for, oh, I'm going to get to sleep in on Saturday morning. I'd get a phone call, and it'd be my future father-in-law. Saying, hey, I got a tractor for you to run today. Why don't you come on out to the farm and run a tractor? And see, I was sweet on his daughter, and I knew that if I said no to him, I might my access to his daughter might be cut off. And so guess what? I'd go out to the farm. It's 20, about 25 miles away. I'd go out to the farm. He'd put me on some old clunker of a tractor with no umbrella on it, no air conditioning. I mean, just an old, rusty tractor. Maybe a two-cylinder. Kachuka, 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 kachuka. And he'd put a, you know, a harrowing instrument on there and He'd send me out to this field. I'm just driving circles in that field, you know, all day long. But I learned to use that to pray and sing. And somebody went by on the highway one day, and they said they heard me out there just singing in tongues. They thought it was funny. I thought, well, you know, I wouldn't have to follow any particular lines because I'm just harrowing, right? You know, I'm just breaking up the clods. And, and, uh, and so I'm out there just Using my time wisely, right? And, uh, and then, I, you know, but when I got married, then I was in the family business. I graduated from the used car business, and I wound up in the farm business because I, I uh, you know, married a farmer's daughter. It's family business. Well, you're in the family of God, and that doesn't mean you've gotten sitting down rights. That doesn't mean you can sit in the house and watch cartoons on Saturday morning while Jesus is out here healing the sick, raising the dead, and casting out devils and doing all the work. No, we are his fellow laborers. We are his partners in the ministry. So your cartoon days are over, people. You're in the family business. Grow up. We must not try. It's wrong. It's sinful to try to hold on to your comfort zone. I'm just not comfortable doing that. You think I was comfortable doing some of those chores on the farm? I didn't know what I was doing. You know, he said, well, we're, going to, we're going to change, we're going to change the, the tires on the tractor today. We're going to take the regular tires off, and we're going to put rice tires on there. And I thought, rice tires? Rice tires? Tires made out of rice? I was thinking rubber tires versus, you know. He said, no, 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 rice tires like they use in rice paddies. 
And I said, but you're not growing any rice. That was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> what he's going to do is he's going to use that tractor on muddy ground. In other words, just because it rained don't mean we're not going to work. So I thought, oh, we're going to go out there and get a jack, jack that tractor up, change those tires out. I went out there, and those tires were higher than the ceiling. I mean, I looked right at it, and, and you know, my nose didn't even come to the hub of that wheel. And I said, I'm changing that. That thing weighs three, four times as much as I do. He looked at me like I was an idiot, which I was. It wasn't comfortable. Well, next thing I know, he's back in this winch truck up there, and he wraps that, that chain around that, that tire, and he picks it up with the winch truck, pulls it over there, and slides it onto that hub. Then he tells me, now you tighten the nuts. Well, the nuts are like this big, and the wrench on that thing, I could barely pick it up. But, you know, we got the job done, and it took us, it, it took us all morning to change four tires on that tractor. Me and my brother-in-law. He was born in the family business, and I was adopted into the family business. And I found out I worked just as hard as he did. And you know, when it came, when it came time to inherit, <laughs> I didn't inherit the family business, even though I worked on the farm, even though I was, I was part of the family. I mean, you know, because of the way laws are and everything. I didn't inherit anything, but my kids did. And I didn't realize then that I was, work, I was working on behalf of my kids' inheritance. And because I was in the family business, it affected the generation after me. There's a lot of spiritual connotation there. Amen. But in order to go forward in God, you have to abandon the green zone or the comfort zone. Comfort is not included in the package. So if you're looking for comfort, you're in the wrong family. Amen. And by the way, I'll tell you, there's no comfort outside of the family either. The way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible says. Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they were taught by God to move when they saw God move. They did move forward that day. They went through the Red Sea. They got over to the other side. The Egyptians did just what God said. They chased after them, and God did just what he said. He drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. They were never again any problem for Israel. Then it was just Israel and God out there in the wilderness. And so they set up a camp. God told them how to set it up. He even told them which tribe goes on which side of the camp. They get everything all set up. They get their campfires built. They get their little cow pens made. And then God says, time to move. Did you know that Israel was in that wilderness for 40 years, and yet they were never allowed to camp in one place long enough to settle in? As soon as God saw them getting settled and comfortable, he moved them. Well, what if they didn't want to go? Well, God was the one feeding them. God was the one providing them water in the wilderness. God was the one keeping them healthy 
And God was the one who even caused their shoes not to wear out. They were living by, as total dependence on God. And so God really had them over a barrel. You move or you lose. And whenever they started to settle in, that's that, you know, then the cloud would lift up, the cloud that was over them by day to give them shade, and the fire that was there at night to keep them warm would begin to move. And when they saw that cloud moving, they knew the hot, dry sun was coming. They were in a desert. There's no way they could sustain themselves. Three million people. Somebody figured up how many trains and cars on trains it would take to feed three million people every day. And it was like miles and miles of freight trains. And that only mentioned the water. You think when God had Moses strike the water, strike the rock and, and water came out, you think it was like a water fountain out here in the hallway. You know, no, not for three million people. A river burst out of that rock, a literal river, and it filled a, it filled a, a, natural, a natural tank, made a lake right there. And three million people and their animals were able to water themselves from that one rock. And by the way, that's a type of Jesus. Jesus was the rock that was stricken for us that the water of life might be provided for all who may, who, anyone who's thirsty may come and drink. Amen? But they were totally dependent. So, you know, when God said move, they had to move. In 40 years, there was no established city in the desert. Now, you know, if people were left to themselves and they're allowed to settle, within 40 years, they would have been a pretty nice town, you know. There would have been a barber shop, and there would have been a laundromat, and a nail polish salon, and there would have been, a, you know, there would have been a grocery store, a Winn-Dixie, and family, I guarantee it would be a family dollar. You know what I'm saying? A Badcock furniture store. You know, we, we drove through South Central Florida yesterday, and all those little towns, little know-nothing towns, had a Badcock furniture store and a family dollar. And I thought, you know, we, we've, we've come to civilization. By the way, you don't have to worry about me moving down in that area because it, yeah, you talk about, it feels like you're going downhill all the way. I like this part of Florida. I really do. I even like this side of town. Now, even, even, <laughs> even the tabernacle that God had them build in the wilderness, the tabernacle was designed to be portable. It had numbered pieces. And everything, everything in the camp of Israel was portable. They lived in tents. They worshiped in a tabernacle, which was really a, a, a glorified tent. And everything was subject to the whim of God himself. Whenever God decided it was time for them to move, he didn't, he didn't ask them if they wanted to. He didn't say, hey, guys, you want to change the scenery? There's, there's a really nice sand dune over here on the other side. No, they, you know, it just started, the cloud just started moving. 
And they started dismantling their tents and they started taking the tabernacle down and they moved with God. And this went on for their whole lives. Because that generation, you know, because they disobeyed God and wouldn't move into the promised land, they all died in the wilderness. We talked about that last week. So if they did not move when God moved, they were exposed to the heat of the sun and the cold of the desert night, and there was no food or water to drink. You see, if, you de if you're determined, I'm just going to live comfortable, then you're going to be outside of God's provision and protection. Because God's moving on, and you've got to move with Him. That means you can't fall asleep. You can't go on vacation and expect to come back and find the camp still there. God moves on. Everybody say, God moves on. What happened to that generation in the wilderness was they became consumers of God's grace. They ate the manna. They drank his water. They lived in his air conditioning. And they became consumers of his grace, but they never learned his forward ways of faith. They, they, they ate at his table, but they never learned his ways. They never learned how to move on and move forward with him. We must listen to what God says. And when he says move, we need to move. When he says go, we need to go. And we need to trust in his goodness. Remember, God is good all the time. I like what Robin Bullock says. God is absolutely good. Exactly. <laughs> Amen. Absolutely good. Anything that, anything that lessens the goodness of God is a lie of the devil. You've got to have that determination in your mind. Anything, any thought that comes into my mind or any word that comes to me or any, anything that would appear to me in any way that says God is not totally good, that's a lie and I reject it. God is trying to punish me. God doesn't try anything. If he wants to punish you, he'll punish you. But he says that his wrath is not for his children. So if you're his child, you are not subject to wrath. How many of you know that's in the Bible? The, the children of God are not subject unto wrath. God is good. And he's good to your, his children. Psalm 37.3. Let's look at that. Put that up on the screen. 37.3. You, you need to memorize this one. Are you there? Psalm 37.3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily, that verily means truthfully, truly, Thou shalt be fed. How am I going to dwell in the land and be fed? By trusting in the Lord. You could read it this way. Trust in the Lord and do good by going forward in faith. One reason we can do good unto others is because we're never worried about God taking care of us. 
I know God's going to take care of me. So if I find somebody in need, I can share. I can share even out of my lack. I can share with them knowing that God is going to replace it and multiply it and, and increase it. Can you say amen? amen? Trust in the Lord and do good so. That word so means in, this is how or, or by doing this. By trusting the Lord and doing good, you will be fed. And you will dwell in the land. What land? The land he's promised. Amen? We need to heed the voice of God then. You know, trusting the Lord means I do what he told me to do. Amen. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We taught our kids Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy with Daddy but to trust and obey. You see, you need to teach your children to trust you so they'll trust God. They can't trust you. If Daddy is a lion, you know what? They're never going to trust God. Just giving you a little parental advice for those of you who may have kids someday, Samuel. The rest of us, it's too late. Amen? Teach them to trust you and they'll trust God. And then seek his guidance. If you trust him, then you're going you're gonna to ask him for his wisdom and guidance. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 and starting with verse 28, Deuteronomy 4, 28. Y'all liking that I'm in the Old Testament this morning? Yeah. Amen. Ruth doesn't think I can preach out of the Old Testament. I love the New Testament because it's the New Covenant. It's, it's established on better promises. But you've got to know the Old Covenant so you can appreciate the New Covenant. If you don't know the old covenant, then you're, you, you're clueless about the new one. Amen? Amen, Robert? It, it adds on and builds on. It's tacked on to the old covenant. The old covenant's the foundation, the basis for the new covenant. Deuteronomy 4.28, And there you shall serve God's, the work of men's hands. He's talking about once you get into the promised land, you're going to backslide. I mean, God knows these people. He said, And there you'll serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from there, from that place of idolatry, thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, and thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, it doesn't matter how far away you are from God. It doesn't matter how backslidden you become. It doesn't matter how idolatrous you might have been or might be even now. Maybe you're not where you need to be. But God is saying, if you will just stop right there and seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. God can be discovered and found. 
Amen? When you are in tribulation, not if, but, you know, if, if you depart from God in any way, you're going to have trouble. When you are in tribulation and all these things are come upon you, and he had listed several curses, and all these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, even when the fruits of your sinful ways have brought payday, you know, you know, even when it looks like you're lost and there's no remedy, when it looks like you just waited too long, he says, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, what does it say next? What does it say next? For the Lord thy God is a what? Merciful God. He will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. All you got to do, I don't care how far away from God you've fallen, and maybe the clouds moved on, and maybe the... You know, the camp's moved on. And all of a sudden you wake up and realize you're out there starving to death in the, in the desert and you got sunburn and everything. He said, if you'll, seek, if, you'll, if you'll seek the Lord, get up and go find the camp. Right. Amen. Just follow the tracks in the sand and find the camp. And the Lord is merciful. He'll forgive you. Amen. I think, I'm, I think I'm really speaking to somebody. Maybe it be on the video, but I, I'm speaking to somebody this morning. that You think you've gone too far, yeah. and you can never get back to God. But I'm telling you, God is merciful. He will save you. He will save you if you seek him. Amen? And then just, just do what he says. We use the word obey, but some folks, you know, you use that word obey, and it's like, it's like a red flag word. I mean, you know, don't tell me to obey nobody. I'm my own person. No, you're not. You're, you're either a slave to Pharaoh or you're a servant of God. You're, in, you're either in the control of the devil and his demons, or you're in God's hands. There is no such thing as being your own man and controlling your own body and all that garbage. It's my body. I'll do to it what I want to. No, it's not your body. The Bible says you're bought with a price. Your body was ransomed by the precious life of Jesus himself. We're going to have communion in a minute, and we're going to remember that Jesus bought your body with his body. So what you do with your body it's not your body. It's the Lord's temple. Amen. And he said, if you defile his temple, he'll curse you. Amen. That's New Testament, by the way. <laughs> Galatians chapter what? Six? Six. Don't defile the body because it's the Lord's body. And if you're carrying a baby in that body, that, that baby is not your body. 
It's the baby's body. You are the host. You are the one giving hospitality to that life that is inside of you. It's not yours to kill. And if you kill it, you're a murderer. And in the book of Revelation, you read where all murderers have their part in the lake of fire. God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Well, what if I've committed, already done it? Well, if you'll seek the Lord, no matter how cursed you are, no matter how outside of the camp you are, if you'll seek the Lord with all your heart, he's what? Merciful and kind, and he'll forgive you. But you've got to stop doing those things. Amen. And move forward in God. Genesis 26, verse 4. This is something God said to Isaac. Genesis 26, verse 4. He said, I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. Now, see, God already had made that promise to Abraham. Back when Abraham didn't even have any seed. Now Isaac has come along, and he inherits the promise. And God says that, Isaac, I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven, and I will give unto you your seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because, Isaac, you're such a good guy. Now it had nothing to do with Isaac. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. You see, Abraham had, a, had unsettling faith. Amen. What do I mean? Abraham left his home country and followed God, not even knowing where he was going to go. Abraham lived in tents his whole life. And God blessed him and prospered him and made him the richest man in the world. Why? Because he moved forward in faith, always trusting, obeying, and keeping God's words. And because of that, Isaac, I'm going to bless you. You see, Abraham never was allowed to settle. Poor Abraham. Poor Abraham. Never had a permanent home. <laughs> Have you ever heard that song, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You ever heard that one? You see, if we get just the least bit of distance between us and God, we start thinking about settling down. We start thinking about this earth as though it's somehow a permanent thing. No, we're passing through it. My friend, Ken Everhart, left this earth a couple weeks ago. He still had vision. He still had, he still had dreams. He still had unfinished business in his mind. He, still, he was still, he's still moving forward. But God's okay. I'm changing your address. 
Now he's in heaven, but he's still moving on. He's still moving forward. His family, his wife, his children, his church, they still have to move forward. They can't just stop and, you know, build a monument, a mausoleum over the church and say, this is as far as we're going. One of the things God told me when my wife passed on. Not, he said, it's okay to memorialize her. He said it through a sermon, Ricky Fowle preaching this sermon. He said, it's okay to memorialize her and remember her, but don't build a monument. Because a monument becomes a boundary and you stay behind that boundary, you'll never move on. I was 52 years old, 53 years old. I still had things to do. I had to move on. Amen. God put faithful people in my life to remind me of that. Don Norman said, son, it's time for you to suck it up. <laughs> and I wasn't groveling around, sniveling around, you know, woe is me. But I was grieving. And I wasn't thinking about today. I was thinking about yesterday. And God had to say, it's time to break camp. The cloud is lifting. It's time for you to move on. So I moved on. And he brought Ruth into my life. But I just can't, I just can't camp there. You know. My next wife, who knows who she's going to be. Don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. <laughs> no, she, I made her promise before we got married that I'm going before she goes. Been through that once. I don't want to go through that again. So she promised. And so y'all pray for her that she'll live beyond me. Amen. <laughs> hold out. Hold out to the end. You, you can go five minutes later, but not before. Amen. Amen. You see, without forward motion, you're not in faith. And Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, what does he mean, sin? Missing the mark. If you're not in faith, you're going to miss the mark. You're going to miss God. You're going to miss God's plan and purpose for your life. You're going to miss the best. You might have what you would think is a good life, but you're going to miss the life that God intended for you to have. So if you're not willing to be in motion and you just want to settle back and settle in, then you're going to miss, you're going to miss something. Now, I know who I'm talking to. I don't know who's going to watch the video, but I know who I'm talking to this morning. And, and I'm one of you. When I'm talking about you know, us seniors. You see, when I turned 50, I got this invitation to join ARP. I said, what's an ARP? I found out it was a senior citizens club, and you, all you had to do is be 50 to get in it. Well, I didn't get in it. I said, you know, I'm not a senior citizen, so I waited, you know, four or five, six, seven, eight, ten years, and I finally joined it because they have some benefits I wanted to tap, tap into. I'm also a member of the conservative uh, senior citizens group, you know. And so, and matter of fact, I'll probably drop ARP because I don't need them anymore. I've got the other one. But, uh, but you know, 
We're seniors, many of us here. Not all of us, but many of us here are seniors. Harold looks younger. You know, he lost a lot of weight, got a haircut. And you actually, you do look younger. You do look younger. But we have this temptation, seniors, especially if that you attach that word retired, you know, retired school teacher, retired this, whatever, uh, retired from the military, you know. Uh, we, we, uh, we have this tendency to think of ourselves as also run, has been. Now we're just waiting to die. And that's a lot of folks move to Florida, you know, so they can wait it out. Wait to die in the sun. I mean, they're going to die in the sun. Amen? You know, go to Sarasota. Drive around. Go to the villages <laughs> down by Orlando. I mean, it's just a bunch of people who left their homes, left their families, left their jobs, left all their mistakes, left everything, and moved to Florida to wait to die. That is not what God wants. It's not what God wants. I didn't come to Florida to retire and sit down and settle and do nothing. You know, I was 45 when I came to Florida. Wasn't even thinking about being old, wasn't thinking about retiring, wasn't, you know, that wasn't on my mind. And it still isn't on my mind after all, after all these years because I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of motion. I'm a man who believes in moving. I'm not going to settle down in old age and just wait for the undertaker. Some folks even buy a property near the cemetery they plan to be buried in so they can sit on the back porch and watch the grass grow over their cemetery lot. I'm not kidding you. I, I, think, I think you need to be prepared. There's nothing wrong with a prepaid funeral. There's nothing wrong with a, you know, picking your casket out so no, someone else doesn't waste money. I'm going to get a, uh, Ruth and I, we're going to go down and pick out some pine boxes. If they won't give us cardboard boxes, we're going to get pine boxes because we don't want our family wasting money on something they're going to look at for a couple hours and then bury in a hole. Amen. Amen? So we're going to pick it out and buy it ourselves. Right? But that doesn't mean I'm ready to occupy it. I believe in pre-planning, but I don't believe in pre-settling. Pre-quitting. Amen? It don't matter what stage of life you're in, you need to be looking for the Lord and follow Him and always be ready to move. Always be ready to move. Every area of your life needs to be an area where you can plot the progress. Physically, financially, spiritually, morally, family. There, there's every aspect of your life, you need, you need to be looking for the cloud of God's presence and follow that cloud. God wants to improve you, expand you, grow you, bless you, and use you. So seek him and follow him. Amen. 
We know what happens to those who draw back. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, see, faith is not a backward motion. If any man draws back or steps back, my soul, God's speaking here, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. See, without faith you can't please God. Faith is movement. Faith is forward movement. Without forward movement you displease God. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition. But we're of them that believe all the way to the saving of the soul. We must not listen to the troubling news that's all around us. That would cause us to shut ourselves in, lock ourselves out. And stop doing whatever it is we're doing. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you. I want to tell you to your face with emphasis. This monkey pox batch of stuff is a bunch of hooey. It is a lie. It's monkey business. And it's not up to any good. It's not about saving your life. It's about killing you. They want to kill you. If they can't kill you with, with their medicine, they'll kill you with uh, their fear. Don't believe in the monkeypox. God help us. It's all geared to shutting down this election that's coming up and delivered into the hands of the wrong people. Don't believe the liars. I saw this little thing on Facebook. It said, you know, if, uh, if it was true that when people lie, their pants caught on fire, it would make the news a whole lot more interesting. Amen? Don't, don't believe that they were liars. They are liars. They continue to be liars. There's never a time where you can trust those people. There will never be a time where you can trust those people. Amen? Constant negative news. Or the communist news network, however you want to put it. And, and all the people that go with Fox, the little foxes are what spoils the vine. I don't trust any of them. I trust the cloud and the fire. Follow God. Believe God. And always move forward. You can move forward in the time of battle. God will see to it that you are in forward motion always. Amen? We're going to receive communion.